0: Before we get started, I want to share some really exciting news with you. Registration is open right now for our next set of group coaching sessions. These sessions begin in January, and of all the things that I offer to this audience, they are the most powerful thing I have. So if there's anything you want to invest your time and money in right now for you, I highly recommend the group sessions. You can find them at www.covertnarcissism.com. These sessions, we focus on you taking back control of your own internal world, your mental and emotional health. We don't focus on whether you leave or stay because you know what? Either way, you need to be a healthier person. You need to be a more peaceful person. So this is about you taking charge of that part of your life and of who you are, putting the remote control to your happiness back in your pocket. So, I really truly hope you can join us. These are six week long sessions. We meet two hours every week on Zoom. They're small groups, only ten people. So, grab your spot now. Don't let this one get by. Again, it's www.covertnarcissism.com. Welcome to the Covert Narcissism Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Swanson. Is my partner a narcissist? Really? Like, really? Is he or she actually a narcissist? Yes, there's some signs, but it doesn't feel quite right. You know, you can wear your mind out trying to determine if your partner is really a narcissist or not. And I want to tell you ultimately, this does not matter. Whether he or she actually is, is not the point. It doesn't truly matter. What matters is how they treat you. No matter what label you put on it, abuse is abuse. And abuse is wrong. Now, I'm Renee Swanson, creator of the Covert Narcissism Podcast and the Covert Narcissism Group, a support group on Facebook for narcissistic abuse victims. And I want to dive into this difference between overt and covert narcissism. I get asked a lot, you know, what is covert narcissism? And again, I want to say the label doesn't matter if you're being, if you are being abused, if you are being treated, uh, poorly and like you don't matter in their world, this is wrong and it needs to be addressed. So, um, the definition of narcissism with, with, for me personally, uh, when I found out, you know, when somebody really introduced me to that was when I was exploring what was wrong in my marriage and trying to figure out what was going on. I was 15 years into this marriage and the definition of narcissism didn't seem quite right, and especially the stereotype. You know, we think of narcissists, and we think of someone who's loud, they're boisterous, they're the life of the party. When they walk in, they're just, they're the center of the universe, and everyone seems to love to give them attention. They're the smartest person they know, clearly, and they're the funniest person that they know. And this just wasn't my husband. Like, it, it didn't describe him. He was not the life of the party. In fact, when we went to social events, he would often sit off by himself. He would sit in a corner and he didn't engage with the others. And and he seemed gloomy and, and sullen and isolated. And then later he would actually complain sometimes that nobody included him. So he wasn't the life of the party, but rather he was the victim of the party. You know, a narcissist, somebody who we think of as that loud, boisterous person, they're like the hero of the world. I did all this great and wonderful stuff. But a covert narcissist or someone whose narcissism plays out more covertly, they're not the hero of the world. They're the victim of the world. You see, covert narcissists play that victim role incredibly well. They hang on to it for all they're worth. No one at that party included me. What they fail to see is that people include themselves. You know, when you go to a party, you engage with the people or you don't. But if you engage with them, they'll include you. And if you don't, they're not. Others, you know, engaging with what's going on and that's how in the end they end up included. But a covert narcissist doesn't see this. They don't see the effort that's being put in by others. Instead, they're just jealous of the attention that these other people are getting. They sit on the sidelines and they sulk. They believe that everyone else has all these wonderful things just handed to them and that they have nothing. But they don't see the effort that other people put in. They still carry, like I said, all these traits of narcissism. And and these traits are listed in the DSM. And and I gave these traits in the last episode. I'm just going to give a quick reminder, a real quick reminder of these here. Number one, self-importance. Two, fantasies of unlimited success. Three, believes he or she is special. Four, excessive admiration. They require excessive admiration. Number five, a sense of entitlement. Number six, they're interpersonally exploitative. Number seven, they lack empathy. Number eight, envious of others. And number nine, arrogant and haughty. Now, what's not in this list? I want to explore that for just a minute. What is not in this list is someone who is loud and boisterous. It doesn't say that in there. You know, someone who's the life of the party and the center of attention. It doesn't say that in there. It doesn't even say in there someone who is physically violent or aggressive. It doesn't say in there someone who constantly cheats on their partner. None of this is listed in those traits of the narcissistic personality disorder. And yet the stereotype is there. Many people hold this stereotype. You think of a narcissist, you think of that loud, boisterous person, you know, the the, the guy who's running off and having 30 affairs, you know, or physically violent with his partner and it seems untouchable and, and what difference does it make to you? You mean nothing to me? That kind of attitude but that's, and, and it does often show up this way. There's no doubt that that, that is a real um, persona of a, of a narcissist, but it's not always the case. Covert narcissists, they, they recognize this loud personality. They often see it themselves and they're often turned off by it. You know, they'll they'll call that person a narcissist or they'll look at them and, and go, you know, I can't stand that person and all the attention they require. and And they don't want to be that. And so they don't, you know, they, they learn they're, they're very intelligent creature, you know, people, and, and they learn. So they cover up their internal narcissistic feelings and they learn how to appear humble and caring. They, they watch this and they learn how to appear that way. They learn how to appear compassionate and generous And yet their inner circle knows that this is not who they are. But that leaves a lot of confusion inside that inner circle. The victims often carry an awful lot of confusion about this person. They can seem so generous and caring, and yet why in the world do I feel the way I feel around them? So there's a lot of confusion in the mind of a victim of a covert narcissist. Their narcissism just plays out differently, and we are going to explore those differences right here. We are exploring some of the differences between overt and covert narcissism. And the one we're gonna talk about today is hypersensitivity. So one of the ways that the narcissism shows up differently is through their hypersensitivity. How this fits into those nine traits of narcissism is that you know this person feels self-important. They believe that they're special and they require all this um, excessive admiration. And so they are extremely sensitive to anything that can possibly be taken as a criticism. How dare you tell me that I'm anything less than perfect that's the attitude that comes across you know anything that even slightly resembles criticism or or the tiniest bit of dissatisfaction they can take things that are absolutely not a criticism that are absolutely just normal everyday life and turn them into a criticism and I'll give you a couple of examples of that from my own personal experience. You know, my my husband was cleaning up the kitchen one day after a meal, and my young son, our our young son was there, and so um, my husband was emptying the dishwasher, and so I asked our son to go help him. Go help him. Go help your dad empty the dishwasher. I thought I was doing a good thing. Like, aren't we supposed to teach our kids to help in the kitchen? Like, isn't this, like, something that is healthy parenting? and my husband though did not take it quite that way in fact he stormed off and went up into the guest room of our house closed himself in the room and sulked for 45 minutes to make a show of how much i had hurt him and and it, i could not figure out why i could tell he was upset you know the way that he stormed out of the room it was clear that that i had i had hurt him but I really could not figure out why. And so after a while, I thought, okay, I, I'm just going to go up there and make peace with him. And so I went upstairs and as I entered the room, then I asked, you know, hey, are, are you okay? Is everything good? And he said, no, no, you really hurt me with that. And I said, how? How? How did I hurt you? And and he said, "Well, you you clearly think that I'm not capable of emptying the dishwasher by myself." And so I just I'm not going to do it cuz I just clearly I can't do it right. And I said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "I asked our son to help you because I want our son to learn good skills and and good traits of of helping in the kitchen." But he didn't take it that way. He took it as though I was telling him he was less than perfect. He was not capable of emptying a dishwasher. Another example is we were in um, I was we were parked in the garage he had already parked in the garage was headed in the house and, and I pulled into the garage and his car was scooted over really close to where to my side of the garage to where the van would be and so I squeezed my van in there but it, it was really tight between the, the stuff on the side and his car. And as I was getting out of the van, you know, I, I was kind of squeezing out of the driver's door and I was squeezing between the the mirrors then, between the two vehicles. He happened to walk out in, from the house right that moment into the garage. And I said to him, I said, hey, honey, I said, can you scoot your car over a little bit? Well, that's all it took. He... Stormed into the house, slammed the door, went out in the backyard and sulked around in the backyard for like 15 minutes. When I went in the house, he was still out there in the backyard, just pacing back and forth and and clearly, visibly upset. And, And I thought, okay, here we are again. And, and I've got example after example. I mean, this went on for 15 years, uh, 21 years, actually that I was almost, almost made it to 21 years of marriage. And I'll dive into more of that as we go in this podcast. But anyways, he, he came back in the house and I, and I said, you know, um, Hey, I just asked you to scoot the car over in the garage. Yeah. But, but you could have greeted me first. You could have told me hi first. You, you made me feel like I was worthless to you. And again, something, not a criticism just a simple request. And yet it comes across as this horrible attack on his person. So narcissists do carry that. Don't tell me that, you know, that I'm not perfect. Don't tell me I can do anything better because I'm already the best. And in an overt narcissist, the sensitivity comes out more aggressively. It's going to come out as anger and rage and violence, and they might hit you. Uh, They might threaten to hit you, so it's intimidation, and and they might throw things to scare you and, and all the yelling to scare you, all of these things, because they want to control you by fear and intimidation. But a covert narcissist, it doesn't come out that way. They still have that hypersensitivity. They still think, how dare you tell me I'm anything less than perfect, but it comes out instead as depression, and gloominess, and sulking in the corner, and they're going to make sure that you see how hurt they are. They're going to do these things visibly, so they want to make sure that you recognize that you have really hurt them, because they don't control you by fear and intimidation. They control you by guilt. They they control you by that desire that's in you to be a good person and a compassionate person. And so this big show of being hurt controls your emotions because it leads you to feel guilty and it leads you to then go try to make everything right with them because you don't like inside feeling guilty. You carry that blame that you have hurt them. And so you go and try to fix this. You know, the victim of an overt narcissist, they're afraid to leave, but they're afraid for their own safety. They're afraid for their kid's safety. You know, this is a, again, they're controlled by fear. But a covert narcissist, their victim is not afraid of that angry outburst and violence. Instead, they are—they—they they feel responsible, they're afraid to leave because they think they might be wrong. Maybe he's right that I hurt him and so I have to stay. You know, I'm not even sure he is a narcissist because he doesn't quite fit the description. And so you feel that you have to stay because it's your job to make things right. You, you, um, you also believe that they don't intend to harm you the way that they are harming you. They don't, you, you really truly believe that they're not aware of the harm they are causing. You know, you might say, oh, they're just depressed. You know, they don't have a good self-esteem. And so I have to keep trying to help them. And so uh, the victim of a covert narcissist, you will pour everything you have into helping them. And, and you stay for years, you know, decades, because you're not convinced that they mean to harm you and and you are convinced that you can help them and that you can build them up. And so that's where the, the covert narcissism, that's the trap where you get stuck and you get caught, you know, an overt narcissist, that relationship, uh, people are afraid to leave. They're afraid for their safety, but in a relationship with a covert narcissist, people feel responsible to stay. So I hope this makes sense. I hope this helps. This is just one of the ways that the difference is there between an overt and covert narcissist. And and both are incredibly damaging. I don't want you to think for a minute that I think one is worse than the other or this one's worse than the other. It's like trying to compare apples and oranges. They are two different ways that narcissism plays out. The damage is different. The effects are different. the The process of getting out is different all of this. So we are going to continue exploring these differences between overt and covert narcissism in this podcast. I hope that you can join us for every single episode. Don't miss any, you know, hit that like button, hit that follow button and let's, let's start building this and and teach our world what covert narcissism is. You have been listening to the Covert Narcissism Podcast with your host, Renee Swanson. Be sure to check out our website at www.covertnarcissism.com. There you will find many resources just for you to help you on this journey. You can also reach out to me by email at renee, R-E-N-E-E, at cnglifecoaching.com. Those letters are C-N-G, as in Covert Narcissism Group. I do look forward to hearing from you. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing.